Hello and welcome to this episode of Crop Talk. I am your host, Thad Stauffer, and joining me today on this episode are Lucas Conmi, Jason Gama, and Tom Timko, who represent Compere Financial in each of our three states of Illinois, Minnesota, and Wisconsin, with a focus on crop insurance. But today we have a lineup of a number of different topics for the group. We're going to kind of recap last podcast and talk a little bit about the MFP and disaster sign-up. We'll talk a little bit about the Farm Bill, particularly ARC and PLC. We'll jump into some discussion about upcoming appraisals, particularly for silage appraisals. We'll talk about the new interest deferral program that was set up here recently for paying multi-para bills. And we'll wrap up with a fall sales season review as the sales closing date is getting close. Guys, how are we doing today? Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening, Thad. So whenever you're listening to this podcast, we've got all the pleasantries covered. Uh, As we're recording this first part of September, today is kind of a special day. One of our podcast hosts, Jason Gama, it's his birthday today. Yay! Happy birthday, dude. Happy birthday, Jason. How old are you? Thank you. I am 39, so one year shy of the big one. But feeling good? Feeling great. Great. Well, speaking of great guys, we have a lot of good topics to discuss here at the group today. Um, Let's kick off a little bit of an extension from last podcast. We spent a lot of time talking with our listeners about the MFP sign-up and what that was going to look like, as well as disaster payments. Uh, Why don't we give our listeners kind of an update of where we're at with MFP and disaster payments. Yeah, you know what, I'll I'll start with the uh, MFP 2.0. Uh, just to remind everybody, sign-up has begun already, and if I believe I'm right, we have a December 6th deadline to sign up for the MFP. So for producers, you still have time, but don't forget to go in there and sign up. And when you say in there, you mean FSA, right? Yes. I signed up a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago. I already got my MFP payment a week ago. Okay. Yeah. And remember, it's county rate-based. And someone correct me if I'm wrong, but it covers planted acres only for qualifying crops. Yeah, and I think um, you could contact somebody from computer, but if you just Google the county rates pretty easily, I just did it a few minutes ago, comes up really easy. You just uh, Google MFP payment, county rates, select a state, and you can see what your planted acre rate would be. And I believe just for you know informational purposes, we're, you're going to get half of the total expected MFP the first payment, the second and third payment, which will be the last half, um, will be coming at a later date. I don't know if it's next January and maybe the other ones later, but you know what? For what's important now is to make sure we get in there and get signed up. Tom, you mentioned planted acres. We've had a lot of discussion here in recent months about prevent plant acres and cover crops. Give us an update on what that what that means to MFP. How that relates is if you went in there and you had prevent plant acres and you put in or planted a qualifying cover crop by August 1st, you would be eligible for a $15 an acre MFP payment. Okay. And I believe you'll get half of that again right away and the other half would come at a later point in time. And that's a flat amount, right? Flat amount. Okay. All right. So the the takeaway for our listeners here is... If you haven't signed up for MFP, get that process done. Uh, as we look at the disaster payment side, that's a whole separate budget 
Pima coming out there. Is there any update we need to have with our listeners at this point in time? Yeah, I think it's been uh, widely discussed that uh, out of the Farm Bill of 2018, there is a disaster program, which includes about $3 billion worth of funds to be allocated for these various disasters that we've witnessed. Uh, However, um, even though the amount has been approved and it's in Sunny Purdue's hands, uh, he has not come out yet to our knowledge with any direction on how the allocation will happen technically because it is going to include things like uh, the California wildfires, uh, the flooding in Nebraska, um, as well as the prevent plant uh, situation we find ourselves in the Midwest. So $3 billion does sound like a good chunk of change, but once you spread it across all those different disasters, um, it's not uh, far-fetched to think that that money will run out at some point. And I think we just did see that um, some of the counties or some of the states were declared disaster areas for prevent plant, which helps get it into that into that bucket that Jason's talking about. But yeah, we still haven't heard on how it's going to be broken down. And obviously now we have Hurricane Dorian going on, so that, you know, whether that gets lumped into that same bucket, we'll have to wait and see. Okay, well, the key there is there's additional funding coming. I shouldn't say not additional funding. There's different payments coming. When those will, we'll we'll have to kind of wait and see from there. But okay, good. Good conversation. Jason, you mentioned Farm Bill. Uh, Staying on the Farm Bill topic, we're going to see here Arkham PLC um, decisions be made here soon. Guys, anything that we should be aware of from a Arc PLC decision standpoint or, or thoughts around that in general? You know, I'll start with the basics. I believe the sign-up has begun already, but honestly the deadline this round is March 15th of 2020. So we have, what, almost six months. You know, I think you're going to find that a lot of people are going to do a lot of uh, signing up for the 2000, the farm bill, if you will, in December through March. So that means we have time and we're gonna, we're gonna have a better idea what is the best choice as we go along. And, and when you're saying delay, you're saying that the longer you wait, the better, the better look back you'll have as to where 2019 ends up, correct? Absolutely. And, you know, we're going to hear a lot of information messaging on egg shows, but if you wanted to go and look for yourself, where would you guys go look? So I, you can try to Google it. There are sources that sometimes extension groups will put out or state universities will put out on how to make that decision between the ARC and PLC um, programs. Uh, computer staff have a used to a pretty good tool. You can kind of put in the what you think is going to happen, call it a what-if tool, uh, help you make the decision between ARC and PLC. Um, but otherwise, you know, be patient as things come out. Because as the, um, Tom just said, or Thad, I don't remember who now, there will be a good look. We have a, a good opportunity for a look back of seeing how 2019 performed. And as a reminder, I think we discussed this before, when you sign up for ARC or PLC that first year, that first decision is going to be for two years. So you're going to be signing up for 19, 2019, and 2020. And then every year after that, during the life of the Farm Bill, you can switch back and forth. So this will be the, the first decision you have to make. Now, the funny part is five to eight months ago, we're thinking from the numbers we're looking at and what we're hearing that PLC might be the choice. And then, you know, last three months, it's like, whew, prices went up. Now it looks like ARC might be better, but the better choice. And now, we don't know. I'm just going to go that route. Well, I think the key to that is it's an unknown, but there are resources for our listeners to get a better understanding of, of, 
as Lucas, as you mentioned, that what if. I think it's also important in the tie to the crop insurance discussion that we have here each month, and that is based if you choose ARC or PLC, gives you additional choices or options within your crop insurance policy. So if, if ARC County or ARC individual is selected, there is no crop insurance tie. But if our listeners would choose PLC, then, then they've got one other option they can consider from a crop insurance perspective. Guys, let's, let's kind of dive into that here real quick. Yeah, so what that's talking about is the SCO option, supplemental coverage option. Yep. And that's a, a county-based, call it a band, that you can put on top of your, your individual multi-parallel policy. And that will give you coverage up to 86% from wherever you start. But it's going to be on a county-based um, county level. So in, in a lot of cases, that, that band B county base is um, inexpensive and could be a good option. So it's, it's again, it'd be another reason, again, to, as I always say, touch base with your crop insurance agent to make sure that those decisions are, are being made. Yeah, another good point to uh, point out, honestly, is that the yields that are being used to determine SEO are going to be now the RMA yields, uh, which are much more accurate as opposed to uh, NAS yields uh, driving mo- mainly off of uh, farmer surveys returned back. So we're excited about the opportunity of using these RMA yields to get uh, just a, a better picture, more accurate um, for these types of programs. Yeah, I, I just want to give an example or, you know, this is a ballpark. I'm not going to talk specifics, but there's some counties in Wisconsin that used to have or that I've gotten 40 bushel yield jumps from the difference between NAS and now RMA actual yield. So it it's a much accurate, much more accurate picture of what's happening and uh, what's going on. Another thing, when you do, when we finally do sign up for ARC or PLC, let's say you choose PLC, and then you have options to take the SCO. But but quite honestly, when you sign up, ARC, PLC, it's by farm number. So if you had eight farm numbers, you could technically have four on, with PLC and four with ARC. Don't know if that makes sense. But just keep in mind, as, as Lucas, I think, alluded to, you have to have PLC to be able to take or qualify for SCO. Does that mean SCO is right for everybody? No. In my particular area, we have a lot of people at 80 and 85% levels, and maybe our rates are a little bit less than others. may not make sense. So you, don't, you can only find out if you talk to your agent. Yeah, that's a good point. That's the, the key there is there are resources. Talk to those resources, particularly your insurance agent, and make sure he or she is assisting where they can. Hey, Thad, another thing we're just thinking about, can you talk about the interest referrals? Yeah, that that's, uh, as we've talked in this podcast and last podcast, about what I'll call the crazy season of 2019. Uh, we know our producers have suffered, and we've had the MFP and disaster payments that are coming up. Another thing that was done through uh, USDA was multi-parallel crop insurance bills went out and by policy are due August 15th. USDA came out and said if you have a spring, 2019 spring multi-parallel crop in place, that now billing time frame was extended by two months before the interest will attach. And that point being November 30th, payments must be received by that point in time. If they're not, December 1st, interest would attach at the one and a quarter percent interest per month. 
And one thing to point out with that interest attaching is it would be retroactive uh, back to the original premium billing date. So you are getting an extension before interest does attach, but once it does attach, uh, it's being re retroactively uh, prorated back. Uh, so you are getting hit with that large lump sum at the end. That's, that's accurate from my understanding, but I'm going to give you my opinion. If you have the cash flow dollars and you've got a couple months interest-free, I would say, what, send those bills in before November 20th and make sure it hits the insurance companies or gets to them? Yeah, that, that's a big key, and we can't stress enough for our listeners. That interest needs to be received on or before December 1st. And the reason being is, depending on how each AIP runs their accounting cycle, bills either are generated and sent out on the 1st and or they're sent out in the first few days. And if you don't make your payment and the mail doesn't hit there, then you could have an overlap and you're going to have interest sent, even though you may have sent that to your point, Tom, you know, 10 days early. Uh, that, that's the important piece. So, again, glad to have the extension, but we can't stress enough. Get those payments made. I want to just ask one question for clarification. We're talking, we're referencing uh, spring crop billing, so yep. that would be corn and soybeans. This doesn't apply to any fall crop that would have billed that has a final plan, uh, final payment date of nine uh, September 30th. Otherwise, those policies could be canceled for non-payment. Yeah, that that's an important note there to make, Luke. Especially if you're in areas where you have a lot of forage or wheat or margin protection policies that were in place from a from a fall standpoint. To expand on that is, to, to Lucas's point, the termination date for those policies is September 30th. They did not get an extension. There's no interest referral from that program there. So if you have a fall policy in place, bills came out around July 1st, payment is due, expected to be due, otherwise that current fall policy could be terminated. One last clarification to throw in there as well, along with those spring policies that did get interest extended, um, the uh, private products that are various in offerings from the AIPs, uh, the different banded products, add-on products, uh, those also have been extended uh, to match that underlying multi-parallel uh, policy language that we've been discussing. And just to clarify, we keep clarifying ourselves today, uh, let's make this final statement on the interest piece. It's important if you take away from this podcast information, check with your agent to ensure what your A insurance company is doing for that payment piece. Uh, the multi-parallel piece is across the board. As Jason mentioned, the private product piece or even hail, those bills, most of the AIPs we work with in our shop did get that same extension, but there may be AIPs out there that did not extend that deadline. So it's important to talk with your agent to get the most accurate information. Guys, let's switch gears and talk about uh, this upcoming harvested crop here. Uh, typically this time of year we're getting ready for harvest or in harvest depending where you're at within the Compere territory. This year because things are later than normal, Lucas, it's probably appropriate to talk to our listeners about silage appraisals and that whole process. So kick off this discussion. Yeah, so uh, when talking to other agents around at least Wisconsin, I think the earliest we're going to start silage is about the next eight to ten days. Guys are going to start chopping a little bit so I want to give a handful of reminders out um, about that first of all if you're going to chop silage you need to contact your insurance uh, provider your insurance officer and get a claim open because anything that's destroyed which would 
silage being an example, needs to be appraised in the field by the insurance company. So first of all, if you're going to do it, contact your insurance officer, let them know about when you're going to start chopping, get that claim open. Second reminder, when the adjuster calls, so the, the next step will be the adjuster is going to call you and find out when you're going to start chopping, and it may not be when he calls, but make sure you save that phone number because a lot of times what happens is you're like, you're a day away from chopping, and you're like, oh man, who called me when? So when they do call you, make sure you save that number, some kind of reference point so you can call them. Uh, the most, the more heads up you can give those guys, the better it's going to be. Uh, they, you know, if you call, say I'm chopping in an hour, they might not get there. And then we have issues where you're going to have to leave strips or anything like that, which isn't always a downfall that's going to happen no matter what at some point when you're chopping silage. But, you know, the more notice we give, the less that has to happen. The adjusters can get there when fields are opened up, do appraisals, and get done with that. So, like I said, if, if you're going to chop silage, make sure you call your agent, get that claim open, save the adjuster's phone number. And the other thing, you know, if you typically haven't chopped silage, you've never gone through this before, let's say the uh, dairy down the road or somebody needs some feed and you're going to chop some silage because they're going to give you a better price. You know, that stuff needs to be appraised in the field. So if you're going to do anything outside of the normal that you're not used to doing, make sure you call your insurance person because they'll know exactly what, what needs to happen. Yeah, good advice for our listeners. It's also important that the, the listeners understand too. The reason for the silage appraisal, and particularly the appraisal piece itself is, that would be used for two purposes. One, for reporting production, reporting production for that crop. And two, if it turns into a claim scenario, that's our record of the potential of that crop. So to your point, Lucas, just to stress that one more time, anytime you're gonna destroy the crop, including silage, a, a notice of loss or notice of inspection needs to be done and notified uh, to the insurance company, i.e. your agent before you start start chopping. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, it, it's important you call them. Even if, you, even if you're not going to start in the next couple days, just call them and get the claim open. Then we get the process gets started, the adjuster gets assigned, the adjuster can reach out to you. So if, if in your head you think it's going to happen, you might as well call and get that claim open. It's much easier for us to close them than it is for us to open a claim later. Uh, while I'm thinking of a Lucas, Jason, maybe can you expand? There, there's also this time of year the importance of inspections for grain that's in the bin? Yeah, so <clears throat> we're always trying to figure out production account for a given crop year, and each crop year has to stand alone. Uh, you can't commingle grain across uh, different or several different uh, crop years. So as we approach the fall, you may still have grain in the bin from 2018 crop year. And before you go ahead and harvest 2019 crop and put that grain in the same bin on top of the 2018 crop, uh, we need to get a measurement of that old crop before you put the new crop on top. Uh, so again, uh, contact your insurance officer. Uh, they can turn in an inspection and get an adjuster out there to make a measurement of that old grain. Uh, so that's documented prior to putting new grain on top. If that doesn't happen, then what will happen is the adjuster will come out and they'll count all the grain in that bin, which you know and I know includes 2018 and 2019, but without a measurement in between, uh, all of that grain will get counted as production account for the 2019 crop, which will obviously inflate your yields and pull you out of a claim in some cases. And that would be a BAD. That would be a BAD. <laughs> <laughs> so let me add, just clear, again, clarification, yep. right? Early on, I think you started it off. Um, I believe people will get it right. You can commingle old crop and new crop. You just need to have it measured first yeah so again uh, 
yeah, the clarification there is we need to make a measurement to keep those separate. If it's not kept separate, then all of that grain will get accounted for and, and earmarked towards the 2019 crop year. There's no way to split it out over those crop years. So, yes, you can add uh, new grain on top of old grain. You just have to get the measurement done prior to doing it. This is most important in a likely loss year, right? And so this year, not only are we looking at potentially production losses, but we already have corn, for example, is 40 cents lower than where we started at. We started at $4, right? Yep, correct. Today, if you look at December, not that we're going to stay there, but it's 360 that's 40 cents. That's, you add those two up, it's a big deal. The, the other comment to make, too, to Jason's expansion there, and Tom, your question, you as a farmer, you as a listener, you cannot mark that bin yourself or identify where 18 versus 19 grain starts and stops. So that's, that's the importance of why an adjuster for your insurance company needs to be the one that executes that measurement. In contrast, you are able to mark, self-mark, uh, between units within a certain crop year. So if you're looking at 2019 and you got several units on your policy, uh, you are able to make markings as you're harvesting that 19 crop. But to Thad's point, uh, that same self-certification process, if you want to call it that, does not work uh, when we're talking about old grain and new grain. Good. Guys, let's wrap up today's episode and talk a little bit about the upcoming sales closing date for fall crops. That date is September 30th. Many of our listeners probably plant uh, what we would consider fall crops harvested for next year. What are some important reminders for our listeners as we head into the next couple weeks here of fall sale season? So when Thad's talking about fall crops, uh, just to get a little more specific, we're talking about uh, alfalfa in Wisconsin, wheat, uh, Fall could be considered margin protection. So on your corn and soybean policy, you're taking margin protection. Those are the types of things we're talking about that 9.30 sales closing date. And, and Lucas, you mean winter wheat? Because we yep. within the comp here, we've got spring wheat and we've got winter wheat. Particularly winter wheat is our fall yep. crop. Yeah, yep, that's correct. Uh, the other thing uh, some people don't think about, and again, this is specific to the, to the forage growers, I've heard it before that you can't insure your fall seeded alfalfa. That isn't true. We can do uh, what's called a written agreement in the fall. If your forage was in most of Wisconsin, if it was seeded before August 15th, we can't insure that under a forage seeding policy, which is a, it's a good policy to use. So that's another thing I always want people to remember. It's not a common policy, but we can do it. So if you are interested in um, insuring your fall seeded alfalfa, we can do that. Again, it's got that same 930 sales closing date. So everything... Again, wheat, forage, margin protection, I'll have that 9.30 date. Think things to consider also um, are what? Entity changes, any changes to your operation. Um, and if you're adding a new crop, anything like that would be something to talk to your insurance officer okay. about when that is insured. Yeah, new, new county. New county, yep. Uh, new state in some cases. For sure. So any, any changes to your operation that are gonna happen, take an effect this fall, Need to be need to be made before the September thirtieth deadline. That is correct. Yep. Okay. Tom, Jason, anything else to add to that discussion there? No, I'm good. I'm good with that. Okay. Well, good. Well, gang, this will uh, conclude uh, today's episode. Can't thank you enough for your spending a little bit of time with us here today. Listeners, take time to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening and downloading this podcast from. 
We'd like to thank our friends here at Comcare Financial for giving us this platform to talk to you today. And we'll look forward to talking to you again next month.